You're listening to episode 43 of the Journey to Launch podcast, how to be rich and regular on your financial independence journey. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, journeyers, welcome back to another episode of the Journey to Launch podcast. We are at episode 43. And if you're listening to this in real time, so May 2nd or th- this week, whenever you catch up to it, I am now a mom of three. Don't worry, I'm not recording this in the hospital. As I spoke to you guys last week in my solo episode, so if you have not listened to my solo episode yet, go back, listen to the episode right before this, episode 42. I talked about just how I planned to still have episodes coming out the month, at least of May, while I was you know, recovering and making necessary adjustments to being now a mom of three. And so... The intros and outros are pre-recorded, but again, the episodes are going to be awesome as usual. So if this is your first time listening, don't be alarmed. If you want more real-time like updates on what's going on in my life, you maybe check out my social media. I don't know how often I'll be posting there for the month of May, but you never know. So Instagram, you can find me at Journey to Launch, same thing as Twitter and Facebook. Also, remember the Facebook group is still active, so go join that if you haven't yet journeytolaunch.com slash community, or just type in Journey to Launch in Facebook. I'm really excited about this episode because I am talking to Julian and Kirsten from the Rich and Regular blog. And I ran across them first, I believe on Instagram, and specifically in their bio, they talked about being or working towards financial independence, and they were African-American, they were black. And so that just caught my eye because in general, while I love talking to everyone and I follow everyone and I get advice from everyone and I try to bring everyone that I feel like will be a good asset and teach something on the podcast of this show, I think it's just wonderful to see people of color doing this because it's one of the things that as someone growing up, before I first got into this whole movement, I didn't notice or realize how many of us were in this space. And so I just feel grateful that I can use my platform to show the diversity of financial independence. And for you guys listening who want to see relatable stories of people who look like you and are in similar situations, I think that's amazing. And that's what I really like about Julian Kirsten's blog because they're super relatable and their blog titles and how they talk is just, I think, something that anyone, so whatever color you are, can learn from. In this episode with Julian and Kirsten, we're going to talk about their path to financial independence. How are they moving towards their goals? They have done a lot, actually, so far on their path. They are debt-free and paid off $200,000 of debt in five years. They also love to talk about their wins and what they're doing moving forward to reach their goals. They recently paid off their mortgage and they just had a baby. So this is a couple with a baby that is still on track or working towards FI. So I think you're going to really like this episode. 
If you want to learn more or see any of the links that we talk about in this episode, go to the episode show notes at journeytolaunch.com slash episode 43. Once again, that's journeytolaunch.com slash episode 43. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you listen in Apple Podcasts, that purple app in your phone on your Apple product, that's where you'd go in and leave me a review if you are enjoying it, if that's how you listen. And if you're not listening that way, that's totally fine. You can listen on your Android, you can listen in YouTube and a bunch of other places. What really, really matters at the end of the day is that you are sharing this content. So yes, the reviews help because I read every one of them, but sharing it, sharing it with your family and friends, sending them a link to the podcast, sharing on your social media, that really helps with word of mouth and helping get this message out there more. So I hope that if you haven't done that, or if you're not doing it, you start doing it. It's just a way to say thank you to me to spread the message and just, you know, help out your fellow person who wants to learn more about this, someone that you care about, or someone you know that needs to learn about this and see what this is all about. All right, so let's hop in to this amazing conversation with Julian and Kirsten from The Rich and Regular blog. Hey, journeyers. I'm super excited to have on this amazing couple, Kirsten and Julian Saunders. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Hey, what's up, Jamila? How are you? <laughs> Good. And they're from the richandregular.com. So it's a blog that they highlight their story. They are very transparent on their financial independence journey. And I think I saw you guys first on Instagram and First of all, it's easy for you guys to kind of stick out because you specifically have like you're on your way to financial independence. You are an African-American couple. So that automatically interested me because I just love seeing people of color in this space. And so I was like, all right, I have to find out more about you guys. So I went and checked out your blog, your journey, and we're getting to all the things you've been able to accomplish and where you're going. But can you please just introduce yourself and what you guys are currently doing in terms of paid off your mortgage and on your way to FI. And then we'll get into like the nitty gritty of it. Yeah. So I guess I'll start. First of all, thank you for having us on the show. We're so excited to talk a little bit more about kind of how we're living or how we say living good on the low. <laughs> I'm Kirsten, one half of rich and regular. I always say I'm the rich half and Julian is the regular half. <laughs> <laughs> but I am uh, 33. I'm a new mom. I work in marketing kind of a regular job. I've been with my company 10 years and we've been married for about two and a half of those. And so Julian has admittedly taught me quite a bit about financial independence. I was, I guess, the one lagging in <laughs> financial education, but have learned a lot in the last couple of years. And I think I'm proof that if I can do it, anyone can do it. And we'll get into this whole transition because I'm so amazed that the two of you are both on board gung-ho about this. So we'll talk about that in a bit. But Julian, what about yourself? Well, I just think it's funny how she went from being the rich one to the one that was brought on board in about 30 seconds. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, shout out to the husbands out there that know what I go through on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but no, we are definitely on the same page. And obviously, you know, this has been a really great creative experience for us. I didn't know we were dropping ages too. So I'm aging myself. I'm a little older. <laughs> I'm 37. I'll be 38 this summer. We actually met at work. And so we actually started on the same team on the same day and avoided each other for a solid 30 days. And then 
I won't get into any of that stuff because she's making faces <laughs> over here. Um, but no, it's been a great journey. Obviously, whether we're talking about just being married and a couple and being on the same page, but also kind of tackling that really difficult conversations about money because they're really, really tough to have. But we were able to get through it and learned a lot in the process and realized that we had a lot to share and hopefully help uh, teach and inspire others. And so and that's what we're doing. Right. And you definitely are doing that because went through your blog and you guys were able to eliminate two hundred thousand dollars in debt yeah. in five years. Yeah. Now did that include your mortgage that you just paid off or that separate? That did include the mortgage. It was mortgage, it was student loans, it was car notes, it was credit card debt, it was home renovation loans. And so it was pretty wedding. much wedding. Wow. Yeah, everything. And so we pretty much knocked it all out in a really short period of time. All right. So let's step back and start at the totally beginning of your journey. I'm assuming, Julian, you're the one who thought of this first, this whole financial independence idea, or how did this come about, this knowledge that this was even possible? Yeah. Yeah. For me, it it definitely started. I remember when I was in grad school and I was getting my MBA and I was uh, learning a lot about business and accounting and finance. And those had all been subjects in business that during undergrad and in my younger years that I kind of shot away from. I was much more of a marketing guy, but I also don't like not knowing things. I'm just stubborn in that sense. And so, you know, I learned more about that. And honestly, in between not wanting to (laughs) cram and study, I would just randomly Google things and I just started piecing things together and I stumbled across several financial independent stories and bloggers and you know, they, they shout out somebody else and it connects you to this community. And so for me, I would say that would have been 2008, 2009. I was just like many of your listeners just listening to blogs because there really weren't podcasts back then. So I wasn't listening to the blogs, but reading blogs and it just grew. And as I started to sign up and receive emails and learn more, it just became really, really cool. And then over time, I felt like, you know what, there aren't a lot of black voices in here and the black experience is a little different who's going to tell that story and so i just started thinking about that in my head but we still hadn't thought about i hadn't even met kirsten yet and then as we got together and i started sharing with her some of the things that i'd learned we thought about like well how well how do we kind of tell our story and that kind of became rich and regular while you were kind of learning about all this before you took anything into action, were you still accumulating debt or were you a little bit more mindful at that point? I was definitely still accumulating debt. <laughs> so Julian skipped the part where he basically gave me an ultimatum. So oh, Lord. <laughs> a, couple <of> months, <laughs> a couple of months after we started dating, we took our first vacation and we went to Panama for a week and a half, something like that. And I still had a ton of credit card debt. Most of mine was consumer debt, just buying shoes and eating out and all the normal things. And so I paid for our vacation together, my portion of it, using credit cards. And when we got back and Julian found out that I had used credit cards, he said that he never would have dated me if he knew I had debt. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. I came into the journey through kind of force. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I started listening to Dave Ramsey as my kind of intro into financial literacy. And to Julian's point, I love Dave and he taught me quite a bit, but there was some of his advice culturally was really hard for me to take in. There are things that I can't do with my family or experiences I don't have with my family that would help me navigate through 
situations like someone needing to borrow money or someone on hard times. I couldn't exactly take his advice. Um, Julian introduced me to several other members of the Phi community, and I started to feel a more diverse approach to money, which I really appreciated. Mm -hmm. So Julian, you had everything for the most part, I would say together, like you didn't have much credit card debt, it seems it was just probably your student loan debt. Yeah. So I had student loan debt. I had regular debt, right? I had student loan debt. Right. I had a a car note. I actually had tax debt. I had a couple (laughs) of mistakes back in the day and ended up owing and couldn't pay it. And so I was on a payment plan with the IRS. But can I just clarify, like it wasn't like a ultimatum. It was really me saying because I'd been entrenched in the blogs and, and I knew what was possible and I knew kind of what it took, right? And trying to pursue financial independence and early retirement or even just like saving aggressively, assuming those are like levels, you know, it requires a certain mindset. And I just knew that that is a fundamental conflict, right? Like you can't have one person that is out here trying to do the impossible and another person out here racking up shoes and credit card debt, right? And so mm-hmm. it's just not going to work. And so it wasn't like, adopt this lifestyle or I'm out. It was more like, it was was certainly, listen, this is what it takes. It was a gentler approach. It was like, I know what it takes, or I believe I know what it takes to accomplish what I really want in life. And this is a fundamental deal breaker for me. And so had I known that, I should have asked those questions before we probably booked them, Mm -hmm. but we had a good time anyway. So, you know, and here we are. And I guess one of the things that's important to ask is how did you guys framed it? Or Julian, you really knew that you wanted to start pursuing this. You knew you needed Kirsten on track or, you know, in the boat or in the car driving with you on this journey. And was there something about reaching FI that particularly stood out for you? Like, what was the draw to it? Because like, what was that aha moment for you, Kirsten, that made you feel like, you know what, I need to get on board because this is actually something I want to this is going to sound crazy, but I wanted to be married to Julian. I wanted a ring. Mm. <laughs> there is, um, mm-hmm. It wasn't even about what finance. I was just, I was that naive in my journey at that point. I didn't even know what financial independence meant, except for I wouldn't have to worry about money. But I grew up not having to worry about money. So that to me wasn't really a perk the way that it sounded. But yeah, I really wanted that ring. I wanted to get married. <laughs> and there's this blog called 300 Sandwiches. And it's about this girl who makes good sandwiches. And her fiance one day is like, you're like 300 sandwiches away from an engagement ring. And she created this blog to like track her making these 300 sandwiches. And at the time I heard this story on the news and I thought it was just so silly and corny. And then I realized that paying off my consumer debt was really my version of 300 sandwiches. I I didn't have a blog at the time, but I was definitely journaling what it felt like. I was capturing wins. At that time, I was writing everything by paper and just every paycheck, giving a dollar its job like Dave Ramsey taught us. And my motivation was really just to begin the next chapter of my life right, with a family. Yeah. I mean, and at the end of the day, whatever motivation that it was, it got you on board. And I'm sure since then, obviously, other than having a beautiful family and husband, I'm sure your reasons for being on the path have evolved or are just a little bit different, I would assume at this point, right? Absolutely. All right. You guys now are both on board. Where were you at that point with your finances when you both said, all right, we are going to both together work on like getting to FI financial independence. Do you remember how much debt you had at that point and what the next steps were and what you set your plan to be? 
I don't remember exactly how much that maybe you do. I remember where we were, right? And it was literally after we got engaged. It was a beautiful but really odd thing. We were in Peru, actually, and we got engaged and we spent the day after, I want to say, traveling back to Lima. And we started writing it out. Like, obviously, you know, we were still celebrating because we were literally doing financial planning uh, while enjoying Pisco Sours and Bubbly and other things. And just <laughs> just kind of like writing things down and saying, hey, like, you know, this is what it would take. And I, I just remember the feeling. I don't remember the actual debt, but it was really, a, and not to sound like overly romantic, but it was like, this is possible, right? And we want to live this sort of life and be able to do this more often. You don't want to just do this once or twice in a lifetime and then that be it. You want to be able to do this more often and live a kind of untethered life. And so uh, that was for me the primary motivation. I think I remember, because we had actually started paying down our debt separately before we got engaged. I had started chopping away and Julian acquired his first investment property and was also chopping away at debt. I think all that was left once we were engaged was maybe ten or 11,000 in student loans. And I still lived in my apartment. So it mm-hmm. wasn't debt, but we weren't pooling our money together. Mm-hmm. Right. I think about two months after we got engaged, we moved in. And that's when we started having the conversation of let's pay down his student loans first and then go ahead and save up for our honeymoon and then save up for the other goals that we had that year, like renovating our house and paying for the wedding. Now, how long ago was this? So we got engaged in November 2014, and then we moved in together in January of 2015. Okay. This house that you paid off, is this something that you bought while you guys were married or you had one of you guys had that before? I had the house before. So I bought this townhouse in 2007 and lived in it as a bachelor for years. And then she moved in and then we had to renovate the property shortly after the wedding which was more debt, but it was planned because we knew that in order for us to really kind of turbo boost our plan, we needed to continue to live small. And one of the ways to make living small, more tolerable was to renovate our home to make it a little bit more livable. And so it was a full on gut job where we literally moved everything out. They tore up the entire place, new floors, new everything. And then we moved in whatever we kept and then had to kind of refurnish a few other things. But yeah, it was an interesting project, but it was also like a really great testament to teamwork, right? Because we had to plan and budget that thing and make tile and flooring selections and the whole thing. It was a really great project, if you will, to undertake really early on in our relationship. And I think that was almost like a capstone course, if you will, for us in terms of kind of really building like this rhythm and this understanding of how to have and tackle these difficult conversations about money, but also to like put our aptitude to work in order for it to really deliver for us. So. So since then you've paid off this mortgage. So congratulations, right? Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Yeah. We paid that off on her birthday. Wow. And so you guys live in Atlanta, right? Yeah. Yep. Well, technically the suburbs of Atlanta. I don't, I don't, I don't want my ATL people, you know, <laughs> like you're not from here. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think you're from New York and I'm from Brooklyn. And so like, I'm not trying to pull a Westchester or all those other folks of uh, Buffalo talking about they from New York. And it's like, all right. Oh yeah. <laughs> so now I want to get into just your overall lifestyle. So you guys are working, you're bringing home money together. How did you manage to pay off your mortgage and pay off your debt? What are some of the steps that you took? 
Yeah, or a lot of things. I just kind of focus on the big, big things, right? So a lot of people, and you're familiar with this in the fire community, talk about the big three expenses. But the big thing for us and fortunate for us really is that I used to work as a professional chef. And so I know how to cook. And so it made kind of cooking at home and not going out to eat that much easier for us to do. So we could still kind of have a restaurant experience, if you will, but not have to pay the premium of eating out all the time. And so it was a lot of dining in and a lot of Saturdays and a lot of brunches in the house. But when it's good, you don't really feel like you're missing anything, you know, and it doesn't replace wanting that experience. Sometimes you just want to go out. Sometimes I just want to go to some of our favorite restaurants, even if you can kind of replicate those things. But it definitely helps to be able to just have more meals at home, especially for special occasions, because I think it means that much more when you, you know, whether it's Mother's Day or Valentine's Day. I, I think it just means more when you can kind of make a meal together and enjoy at home in your space, as opposed to enjoying it with everyone else at the same restaurant that had the same idea that you had. And you know what I mean? It just Mm -hmm. helps to create a different level of intimacy that we didn't really appreciate as much. So that's a big thing. I guess one of the trade-offs, again, we live in relatively small footprint. So we live in about 1,400 square feet. It's a townhouse. We don't have a garage. You know, we park outside. I don't know where your listener base is. That might sound like, all right, it's not a big deal. You're right. If you're in New York, that's not a big deal. But in Atlanta, you know, that's pretty tiny. It's always funny because when we have friends that come up from New York, they look around at our place and like, this is plenty of space. This space is huge. But then when her family comes in from Texas, they're looking at us like we live in a cardboard box. (laughs) So, you know, Uh it's always been interesting. But cooking at home, committing to kind of live small and not get enticed to buy up to live in a bigger space. or Those are all things that we used to help continue to have a bigger shovel, which we then put towards paying off the debt. But there's several other things that we probably did. Yeah, I think the first thing we did was kind of map out the timeline. So assuming everything went well and we followed the plan, it would be paid off by you know August or September of last year. And so every time something came up that would be tempting, like whether it was a vacation mm-hmm. or the need for a new wardrobe or the desire to go out a couple more times than we normally would, we would always map it back to that timeline to say, is it worth not being able to pay the house off in September? Would you rather still have a mortgage in November of next year? And that kind of speech is what held us accountable to doing what we said we were going to do. I also think we had a lot of visuals in the house, so we would track it in Excel and we would track it on the refrigerator. We would we had this 100-day teardown count calendar where every day we would tear a day off to know how far away we were from paying down the mortgage. So it just served as a visual to try and stay focused and stay the course. And I know people use a lot of different methods from vision boards to apps to affirmations, but having something really large and in a central location, it was in our kitchen, really helped us to kind of stay focused on the goal. I like that. I like the visualization aspect and even the teardown days. Like that's actually, I think, a good physical reminder every day. Like, okay, this is how much further you have left. And it looks like it feels like you're accomplishing something. Exactly. Do you remember how much your mortgage was at that point when you did decide that you're going to pay it off? It was about it was a solid like 90, 95, I think. Yep. So at at that point, were you focused on just paying like any extra money or most of your 
like to say disposable income was going to paying off the extra principal payments or were you still investing at that time too? Or what was your strategy then? Yeah, uh, great question. We were doing both, right? And it was a trade-off. We didn't participate in every tax deferred account or every investment account available, but our 401ks for the most part stayed the same. And so it was still every single available unallocated penny was essentially getting rolled up and sent to the principal, the mortgage. The other thing, I'll just kind of sneak this in here. What was important for us is doing that on a biweekly basis, right? Because we get paid on Thursdays, right? And so by Friday or Saturday, we will have already had the conversation about what extra payment goes to the mortgage. Because if you wait a couple of weeks, I'm telling you, you're going to get that email from whatever store or something. You're going to see a commercial and you feel like, oh, you know, maybe it's just $100 there or $200 there. Or you know, there's going to be another invitation to go to another baby shower or something like that. And so for us, it was important to, as soon as it came in, to put that money to work and to get it out. Because the more you sat in it, the more you open your account and you'd be like, man, we're sitting on a couple of stacks. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, yeah, we can afford to take a little vacation. You know what I mean? And so for us, it was important to get that money and put it to work, essentially get it out as quickly as it came in. I'm also a big believer in trying to pay off the mortgage earlier, just because I know sometimes that's not always a mathematical decision, because if your mortgage rate is low and it's like, why not keep it and invest somewhere else where you can get a higher rate? But for me, one of the biggest things which I want to do is pay off the mortgage to free up cash flow, one, because I have the less money than you need to then work on a month-to-month basis. But what was it for you that made you decide, you know what, getting rid of this mortgage is actually more important than probably maximizing all the investments out there? Yeah, it's a feeling, right? So I think you're absolutely right. I mean, if you look at it from a purely financial perspective and you start talking about the average rate of return that you might be able to get if you to invest that money and you compare that to the rate that you're paying, math or you know economics would tell you to choose the one that's going to give you the higher rate. I get that. That's what math says. But then there's life, right? And the reality is sometimes on Monday, you don't feel like it won't work. <laughs> you know, or sometimes you just don't feel like dealing with those things. And so to know, right, to experience life the way that we've experienced it, whether it's traveling or just really, really enjoying something, whether it's a cabin trip or whatever it is, to know that, wow, I could do this on my terms when I want to and the way that I want to do it was the real driving force, right? And that's part of the reason why we say rich and regular is is arguably a bit of a love story because that's what it really what it boils down to. It's like, what do you really, really enjoy? What brings you joy? And for us, it's spending time together. It's traveling. It's all of those things. And so to bring that full circle, yeah, to pay it off, that was really what it was about. It was about giving us more options to be able to live our best lives. And it seems counterintuitive sometimes to kind of focus on such a, boring and strict thing like personal finance, but it really is and and has been a strong contributor to us living a really, really great life because we just actually wrote a blog about that. Our company, like several other companies, is going through a big reorg. And if something happens, our lives aren't going to fall apart, you know? And if we actually got a severance, it would actually expedite our plan. And so that's awesome. You compare that to a lot of our co-workers who are in that boat and can't really say that because they hadn't done the work or made that decision, not knocking them, right? They you know, made the decision that they think is right for them. But for us, it was about really, really just wanting to enjoy life the way that we'd experienced it more often. And honestly, the biggest obstacle that gets in the way of that is work. 
Mm-hmm. And so if you get work out of the way, then you can live your life and do whatever you want. You can work out as much as you want. You can not work out as much as you want. You can volunteer. You can do whatever you want. And so that's really what it was about for us. You guys have now paid off the mortgage. You have no debt, I think, other than you have an investment property, right? Correct. The only debt we have is on our investment property. And that's essentially paid by a tenant. So personal finance, I think when you get on board, whether it's financial independence or just maybe you're not that quote unquote extreme, you just want to pay off debt and live well. You love your job. You have no plans to retire. Whatever it is, personal finance is the common thread that everybody deals with. And some people don't understand why that's so important. Having money or the lack of money determines your lifestyle. Now, how much depends on how much you need and what makes you happy. But it's always surprising to me that people don't understand that understanding your cash flow, understanding what it takes to actually just live a lifestyle you enjoy. All you need to want is figure out and then work your way to make that happen. This episode is brought to you by my favorite budgeting system, YNAB. YNAB literally changed the game for us. It's a zero-based budgeting system, which means you assign every dollar that comes in and out of your budget a job. This method allows you to feel completely in control of your finances, and YNAB is the perfect tool to do that. Before my husband and I started using YNAB a couple years ago, we were not saving a fraction of what we save now. But we set the intention, we set our goals, and we saved first, and then we decided to spend what was left. But how do you know what to spend what's left and where to spend it? That is where the budget comes in, journeyers. And so that is why I am such a supporter and strong, strong lover of YNAB. I think everyone should give it at least a try. And what's special is YNAB is giving journeyers, you listeners, a two-month free trial, no credit card required, for trying out their budgeting system. And that's really great because typically if you go to their website, you only can get one month for free. So this is a really unique offer for journeyers and I really urge you to give it a try. What I really love most about YNAB, it's its sleek system. They help you, guide you through how to actually work with the system. They have wonderful, wonderful training videos on their site and awesome, awesome customer service team. So if you wanna try out YNAB for two months for free, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash YNAB. That's journeytolaunch.com slash Y-N-A-B to start your two-month free trial today. So whether that is you're gonna focus on maybe having your cost of living be low or house hacking or paying off your mortgage, whatever it is that provides you the lifestyle you want, this is all part of, I would say, just like, the spectrum and everyone's journey is going to be different. You know, like some people might say, well, you know, I don't necessarily want to pay off my house early. I want to do this with my money. But I just want to stress that one, look at your current situation or your own life and realize that, yes, getting on track with your finances, figuring out what matters to you, like you're talking about, like that time with each other. I think it's wonderful that if you feel the position of power, that if your company came to you and said, we have to let you go, that you guys would be actually in a better off situation, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, that's such a position of power and it's so amazing. So I wanted to just highlight that. No, thank you. I appreciate that. Are you guys still working in the same place, by the way? Yes, we are. 
<laughs> so not only do you guys have a side business together, you work together, your parents. So that must be pretty interesting. We don't actually see each other at work. So we do two different things on two different floors, on two different teams. But yeah, we're in the same building and we don't carpool. But you commute together. No, we technically work different shifts. Oh, I was going to say you could save so much money, right? Like if you guys carpooled. We tried it a couple of times. I'm good. <laughs> okay. You guys, you guys are like, all right, it's a little space is not that bad. Okay. Yeah, you're more of an NPR person in the morning. Yeah. I like music and energy and yeah. So it just doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Totally fine. One of the other things that was a big thing that happened for you guys last year is that you had a baby. So congratulations. Thank you. How does now being parents affect your journey? Do you see it accelerating it because it gives you a more purpose or do you kind of feel like it is going to, I'm not going to say hold you back, but you know, it's going to take more to now raise this child and be a family. So how do you feel about that? I think for me, it just reinforces the independence part of my lifestyle and my why. I think outside of my home, society places an unfair burden on motherhood that doesn't live for dads. Inside of the home is obviously very different. Jane's a great parent and partner. But outside of the home, there's just all these societal forces about motherhood. And it makes your life about a series of false choices and for me, it just reinforced why I'm not leaning in in the traditional way. What independence feels like for me is having my son see his mom make a space in the world that is defined by her, that is defined by me and not some predetermined role or this journey to prove something to the world that isn't really important to me. In that sense, parenthood has given me a sense of clarity that I probably wouldn't have gotten without having experienced it. And have you guys seen your cost of living increase in terms of childcare or food? Or, I mean, he's still young, but how do you foresee that affecting everything? I think we've kind of broke even. I mean, we paid off the mortgage. Bo was probably eight months old when we paid off the mortgage. And so we redirected those funds into his expenses, which aren't much at this age. He's 11 months. Childcare, our company offers a daycare FSA. So we participate in that. And so that's pre-tax dollars for the bulk of his childcare expenses. It only covers up to, I think, $5,000 a year. So the rest comes out of post-tax dollars, but we participate in that. He's on my insurance plan. Julian makes most of his food. So we did notice that the baby food is hustle of the year, <laughs> industry Listen, of the year. Star, um, start a baby food company. Yeah, man. Good Lord. Yeah, so we we learned very early how quickly we could save a lot of money just by boiling up some vegetables, pureeing them, and freezing them in advance. So other than, you know, the normal cost of diapers and baby toys and loud light-up things, <laughs> <there's>, <laughs> we've, we've been very fortunate to live in a city where the cost of living doesn't drastically increase when you have a child. Right. Where are you on your FI journey? So, you know, you guys started a few years ago and I'm assuming the goal is to have a certain amount saved or what's the target and where are you on that spectrum? It's interesting because there are the standard rules of thumb where it's 25 times what's your consumption. We're about three to five years out. And the reason why I give a range is because things change, man. If there's one thing that fatherhood has taught me is that you have earned the right to change your mind because there's a difference between a baby at month six and a baby at month nine. 
but we're about three to five years out. And, and that's really a lifestyle choice. And, and so what I mean by that is if we're really just tired of it or if we're having uh, really, really tough times, and, and I've just been in the spirit of transparency, right? In the last month and a half for me, just with work and, and everything going on, it's been tough, you know? Mm-hmm. I self-diagnosed myself with burnout. I was just not the most positive person, and it was starting to impact my mood uh, at work and at home. And I was like, man, this is what work does. Like, how do people do this for 30 plus years? You know, like, it's really, really tough. And then you start talking about having another kid and pretty much everything else that just adds, man, I, I don't want any parts of that. If three years comes and, and for some reason I'm still feeling that way, I'm better now. Yeah, I'm figuring out some other ways to pull the plug and walk away. But if we're cool and we're able to still earn as much as we can and and the, there's value in the trade-off between how we spend our time at work versus how we would prefer to spend it in our personal lives, then we'll, we'll do that. But at this rate, anywhere between three to five, my guess would be by 20... 2021. By the beginning to middle of 2021, we will be completely financially independent and able to then choose what we want to do with the rest of our working years. I think just if I had to say now, we'll probably still work, but it'll look very differently, right? Maybe I'll be a contractor or a consultant or something like that, but you'll have the ability to pick and choose when you want to work, what you want to work on, or if you want to work at all. Right. That's really the goal for us. You'll have the options. And, you know, it's interesting that you say that because just the whole getting that discontentment you start feeling because it's almost like a gift and curse, right? Like now that you know there's that light is there and that what you're working towards, part of it is being patient and just chipping away at your goals. But then part of it is knowing what else is out there for you and getting frustrated that it's going to take three, five, 10, whatever years. Because I found that for myself that, Ignorance is bliss. So before I found out about financial independence, I mean, I always knew I never wanted to work in corporate America forever. But once I found out that it was possible and once I found out how much I needed to do and save, the more and more I started to get into it, I also started feeling that burnout. Now, my husband and I, there are some talk, there's some plan where it's maybe me stepping back a bit from my corporate job so that I can focus on my passion so I don't burn out because I'm going to be a mom of three. And so have you guys thought about if one of you guys stops working and if they're that unhappy to maybe do something else or do you guys want to do it together? It has to be both of you reaching fire at the same time. Well, first, congratulations, mom of three, like goals. I'll be calling you for tips. Um. <laughs> I'm hanging on by a thread, girl. It's a lot. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it definitely doesn't have to be at the same time. And we've talked about that all the time. My household is more important to me than an arbitrary timeline. And so if the household feels toxic because of burnout, or if we're mean to each other, or we get into the habit of blaming our son for our mood, then we know something has to change. And we've been very disciplined about the language that we use to describe the burnout so that we don't misplace the cause. I know a lot of people told us when we first had a kid, like, oh, kids, man, they're crazy, stressful, team, no sleep, all the things that you hear when you're having children. And what we've realized through the process of elimination is it's not the kid. He's just being a kid. It's all the other things that he's competing against with our time. And those are the things that we address first. So absolutely. And we've actually talked about Julian going first since he's 
a little older. I've <laughs> been in the game a little <laughs> longer. <laughs> been in the game a little long and I'm still a young spring chicken. <laughs> he would probably go first if we were to phase it out. Say go first, you know. <laughs> Say leave the work. I know, Damn. right? No, I know. It sounds like like you're leaving the world. No, like no, no. Right. He's still here. <laughs> he gonna go first because he's been working too hard. But you know, it's interesting too because if and when I do step away from my job, this actually does put a huge change on our FI goal, right? Because if I was still working, we'd be able to get there quicker. Me stepping away might delay it. Maybe it will accelerate it depending on what I'm able to do with my free time and how I can monetize and grow my business. But I think it's interesting because what at the end of the day, the most important thing is your happiness. And what I am happy about finding this whole FI journey is that if I didn't start a couple of years ago saving and investing as aggressively as we did, I wouldn't have this option of, hmm, maybe I do need to take a year or two off or step back so that I can explore this. Because if I didn't do that for the last two years, save as much, there's no way we'd be able to survive on my husband's teacher salary and then like with the three kids in New York City, right? Like you said, the path, it's winding, it's different, it changes. And I think the ability to be flexible on it is what's most exciting about it. You're spot on. And and I think we also just have to take a step back. And I think that's one of the things that I learned uh, about the FIRE community. Some folks are just so hardcore and then I'm not knocking them, but again, that's just not for us, right? Could we save more? Absolutely. But the trade-off is that you might miss out on happiness or you'll be less happy. You might burn yourself out. And so what would be the point of having hit this financial goal if you get there and you're exhausted? You know what I mean? Or you've kind of lost that spark or you get there and now you've got to relearn your kid or children. We don't want that. We're trying to strike that balance between the two. But again, even if things got bad, I mean, if, if you just stop for a second and open up your minds, like you've got a lot of options. One of the biggest things you can do is relocate or start trimming down on some things. And, you know, that's just been the conversation that we've had with a lot of people where they feel a little stuck, but they really also haven't explored all of the options. We've even explored if things just went absolutely crazy here, we would totally pick up and go to another country. And that's something that living mortgage-free allows you to do, right? Because you can get up and go somewhere. You're not bound by a mortgage. I say that as, <laughs> as we're in the process of getting a mortgage because we've paid off this house and it was on our list to explore a neighborhood. And somehow that turned into, you know what, this is a really good deal. And a really in the part of town where we want to be, and that's a really nice house and a really nice community, I think we should strike when the iron is hot. But again, the beauty of being debt-free is you have the options and you can change your mind and you can reprioritize and do some things. Whereas when you're not, the decisions have already been made in terms of where it's going to go. You know what I mean? Whereas you have freedom and the ability to kind of make a decision about what you want to do with it. Mm -hmm. So, okay. It sounds like you guys are looking to buy another house now. Yep. <laughs> We're doing it again. <laughs> so... Is the plan that now this new house will be forever home or just eventually turn into you live in it, you work to pay it off quickly too, or will it be more of looking at it as an investment? No, nah, you're going to have my loan officer getting mad at me. No, this is a, <laughs> we're moving into it, right? I mean, I've kind of alluded to it. There's a big difference between our son at seven months and him at now 11 months. And so we quite frankly miscalculated our ability to live comfortably within the footprint that we have. And so he needs space. And honestly, we need the space because of him and 
the space that he needs. And so for us, that's a matter of moving in. It's a lifestyle decision. But again, the note that we get there will be offset by the rent that we have on a debt-free investment property. And so the house that we're in now will convert to a rental and it will be really, really great cash flow right off the bat. We're confident that it will have a high tenant occupancy rate because the other investment property is about a mile from here. And it's also doing very, very well. The rent has gone up considerably every single year for the last three years, I want to say. We've not really had many issues with vacancies or anything like that. And so we know the area. When it's all said and done, our note, I would say about 50 to 60% of our note, once both properties are rented out, is going to be covered by our tenants in our investment properties. Mm-hmm. It's not the same as if you're having to pay directly from your cash flow or from your checks. Correct. It will be a really minor adjustment to a smaller a scaling down of our shovel, but it's it's pretty insignificant. Right. And like, and as we were talking about like this, you know, for listeners, like this is just you making decisions based on what works for you. So everyone on their journey can have a different opinion and different path, but you do what works for you and your family. And, you know, one of the things I heard you guys say is you traveled a lot or you used to travel a lot, it seemed, especially when you first met. And so it seems like you value that. And so when we talk about, wanting to reach your goals and wanting to reach FI, there are still ways to do that while still budgeting and paying for the things you love, right? So it seems like traveling is one of those things. Yeah, definitely. Travel is one of those things that just kind of breaks up the routine for us. When we're on neutral ground or somebody else's turf, you kind of break from the habits that you have when you're at home. You're willing to stay up a little later and try new foods and Mm -hmm. you just don't have the constraints of a schedule. But even when we're not traveling, we try really hard to elevate the everyday here at home. And so we'll spend more on the things that we touch every day. I have expensive hand soap. It's not very expensive. It's like $5 a bottle, (laughs) but it's more expensive than your normal great value hand soap. We have great coffee here. I have those shades of the great value (laughs) hand soap. There's nothing wrong with great value. (laughs) I just love when I wash my hands with my good soap. So there's lots of little touches that we have here that kind of surprise and delight us throughout the day. Remind you of what it feels like to be pampered a little bit, even though you're just at home. Right. You know, I love that you brought that up. Do the surprises and delights throughout the day. You can put this on the whole FI or personal finance journey. It's just like you don't have to wait to the goal to then decide to be happy today. Find little ways. So whether that is, you know what, I'm going to budget for the things that I love. And it doesn't have to be like $200 things. It can be higher quality items here and there, the nice dinner here and there, but you feel happy every day of your life because you're doing these the small delights. I really, I actually really like that. That's good. <laughs> yeah, we, we wrote about that. We actually went through that experience. Write down the things that bring you joy, right? And rank them and put your money towards the things that really, really bring you joy. And so you might have a conversation in your head about like, wow, you know, is it going to be the coffee or is it going to be the soap or is it that I really do like going to get my nails done X times a month or whatever it is. The real thing is you just can't do all of Mm -hmm. it. You know what I mean? You can't do everything. You got to make a couple of trade-offs. Maybe it's not, you can't do everything. Maybe it's, you can't do everything every month. So this month you're going to do these things and this month they're going to do the other things as long as it fits within the budget. And so for us, that's really been really critical. You know what I mean? Because you don't, to your point, if you're going to be miserable 
trying to achieve financial independence in the process. And to me, it's just it's just not worth it. At least be miserable on good sheets. <laughs> right. <laughs> Have something that makes you happy. Something. Okay. So you guys, one of the things you also mentioned, and guys and that are listening, journeyers, I will link some of the blog posts that you guys are recommending. I'll link all that in the show notes. But you guys do something called not only do you have the monthly money conversations, you do an annual planning day. What does that look like? Because that might help a lot of listeners when they're talking to their partner. Yeah. So annual planning day is a little different from the monthly checkup. And it's really where we kind of tap into some of the skills that we use at work. And it's like, it's no different than when you do budgeting for those of us that do that sort of thing at work or annual planning. You said, these are the goals for the year. These are the steps that it's going to take. This is the timeline in which I want to do that. Let's look at that timeline. against some of the other things that are happening. And so you may say, all right, well, we want to work on this thing or a special content series for the blog, but oh, that's going to overlap during this time. How is that going to work? You know, maybe it's something personal. And it's really just a matter of good old fashioned budget planning and capacity planning, but you look at it on an annual basis so that you can put yourself in a position to create greater certainty around your ability to deliver against what it is that you're saying that you want to accomplish. If you just say you want to do it and you don't have a plan, to do it and you haven't really answered those really difficult questions or even asked those difficult questions, then you're really just talking about it. You know what I mean? You've not really, really thought through how you're going to do it. And so that annual planning day allows us to do that. For us, it's about, gosh, maybe four hours. And sometimes it's not the whole four hours, but it's updating the budget and cash flow and little things like, you know, looking at the months where you're going to get three paychecks instead of two. And how do you add that in and stretch that out over the year? What are you going to do with that extra paycheck? And where are the big purchases? Or what are you planning on doing? What do you want to do? Are we going to get bonus? Are we not going to get bonus? Do we know? Et cetera. So it's just kind of zooming out a little bit and looking at your cash flow and your budget on an annual basis, but also tracking your net worth the same way. So we'll pull open personal capital or mint and look at it and say, wow, all right, year over year, we had this much, which was a nice increase and this dipped and that didn't, et cetera. It ain't fun. <laughs> We've learned after a couple of years that all right, you got to kind of call a halftime, break open a bottle of wine, have a snack or something like that. We make a point to find a babysitter because you're not going to be able to squeeze that in in between a nap schedule. It's a middle of the day weekend thing once a year, mm-hmm. typically around November, December, most likely like the first week of December because it's after Thanksgiving, but before you kind of get into the full swing of Christmas. Mm-hmm. That's actually a really good plan for listeners who do want to kind of get more of a system with their partner to set that time in advance that you're going to do it on this day, make it fun. I have some breaks set up in between, but yeah. just a list of things you're going to review, questions. And as we just said through this whole conversation, you're setting up a plan, but if things change throughout the year, that's okay. You're just setting up a plan that you at least have something to follow. Yeah. Just to piggyback on that, this was one of the things that changed my mindset and helps to me support being flexible in the plan. Previously, I was thinking sort of paycheck to paycheck or just looking at a monthly budget. But the reality is when you look at how much money you bring in over a year, you have more than you probably think you do. When you count in those extra paychecks and that windfall money and you account for just general income, 
it starts to show you where you can be flexible in your approach. So if you do get some flat tires in January, okay, then you can make up for it in June when you get an extra paycheck or in April, if you happen to get a tax refund. So it just helps you identify those areas where you can be looser, or if you have a flub early in the year where you may be able to make up for it later in the year. Mm -hmm. This is all excellent, excellent tips. And I'm curious to know what is next for this year and just going forward, what do you want to do in terms of like your blog and your platform and just overall life? Like what do you foresee? Yeah. So I would start with rich and regular. I mean, We've been overwhelmed with the positive response with coworkers and, and friends and family. It's been fantastic. Wait, I have to interject. Your coworkers, your job knows that you're planning this FI journey? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we... we oh, wow. We, Our biggest fans are coworkers. No, absolutely. Yeah, she said it, you know, <laughs> and it's it's been fantastic. We weren't shy about it. Mm-hmm. I think what was most important was just to be authentic because what I've learned is that that's ultimately what a lot of people are looking for in life. They're looking to just be themselves. And the thing is, our blog, our brand, if you will, is not for everybody, right? It is for a particular audience, a particular set of people that I think hear our voice and say, wow, I can relate, or that's me. You know what I mean? We talk about being rich. And yeah, if you look at the math and and what we earn compared to what the average salary is for a married couple, whether you look at it on an annual basis or in the metro Atlanta area, we are on the upper end of that, right? But here's the thing. We know plenty of people that make way more than we do, but they couldn't fathom doing what we're doing or saving at the rate in which we save, right? And so Mm -hmm. it's ultimately a choice. And in some cases, it's really just a reflection of truly, genuinely not knowing or understanding personal finance. So for us, the big thing is really just continuing to find our voice and to connect with our audience on a deeper level and we go back and forth in terms of how transparent we want to be, but it's really just a matter of just continuing to grow our business. I, I will also say, I call it a business because it does technically earn money, but it's it's pennies. I'm sure you can relate at some point, mm-hmm. even though I, I will, I'm willing to bet you earn more than the checks that we've seen. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is going to sound arrogant, but like we don't really need it to make money. It's like icing on top of the icing. So if it makes money, great. Fantastic. And we're obviously going to do everything that we can for it to make money. But for us, it's just not really about that. It's really about kind of breaking the mold in the Black community where there aren't enough people talking about money or having a lot of those really frank and real conversations. And so we try to make the uncomfortable a little more tolerable. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, you know, it's easier to talk about money when you can flip your partner an article and say, well, look at them or they're doing it or if they can do it. And we kind of play into the fact that we're not experts because I want people to say, if he can do it or if she can do it, then I know I can do it. And that's really part of what we think kind of makes our voice a little unique is that we try to just be authentic and as raw as possible. But at the same time, given that, you know, we've got grandmothers and aunts and co-workers and stuff that read our blog, you know, we obviously try to be as appropriate as possible. But sometimes you need to be kind of shook a little bit in order to really pay attention, especially today, because you get bombarded with messages and everybody's got two, three devices and mm-hmm. there's something to go in one ear and out the other. And you got to make every effort to stand out. And so for us, it starts with being really authentic. And so that's really the big thing for us. Mm-hmm. Did you want to add anything to that? What's next for you? 
<laughs> I think you covered it. I mean, we've got some big things on the agenda this year. Bo turns one year old in a couple of weeks. So I've got a birthday party to plan. We obviously need to move and set up shop in a whole new house, which is going to take a large level of effort. But as a new mom, I feel like the clouds are just starting to clear a little bit. And so I'm probably not as articulate or as clear on what's very next on the list because I'm just starting to get my wits about me. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to the momentum that we built in 2017 to continue into 2018. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to thank you guys for coming on, sharing your story. And like I said, I do think it's important, you know, the FI community, it's growing rapidly. I think this idea of financial freedom and financial independence is getting more out there. And I just think it's wonderful that I can have a platform where I can show more diverse people talking about it, because that's one thing that I do think is lacking in the other spaces. So thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story. I know that this will help a lot of people and inspire some people to get on it. Thanks. Thank you. This has been really fun. It's been nice talking about it instead of writing about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We've entertained the idea of podcasting. It feels like work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a lot of work, but I think you guys, I think you guys will actually do really well. So you should, you should consider it, but on your own time. <laughs> Take your time because it is work. I believe yeah. it. I believe it. So awesome. But no, but thank you for having us and, you know, big fans of your work and what you're doing and keep hustling. Always, always guys. All right. Thanks guys. All right. Thank, thank you. you. I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Julian and Kirsten. So go check out their blog. If you have not done so already again, episode show notes can be found at journey to launch.com slash episode 43. If you want to follow me on social media, see what's going on in real time, go to anywhere. I'm Journey to Launch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram as Journey to Launch. Also, don't forget to join the private Facebook community where we can connect even more. Go to journeytolaunch.com slash community and that will direct you to the Facebook group or just type in Journey to Launch in Facebook. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast if you listen to it in Apple Podcasts or just share it with a family, friend, coworker who needs to hear this message who you think would be super inspired and would want to learn about what we're talking about. Just share the episode with them. Also, I am launching a membership program in the summer or fall, depending on just how everything goes with all the new additions to my family, but working on it right now. So if you wanna learn more about this membership program, what it's about, the masterclasses and the tools and resources that can help you on your financial journey, go to journeytolaunch.com slash membership to be put on the wait list to be notified when it first launches. So I'm only going to open it up to people who are on that list at first. That way I can just be talking to people who really wanna learn more about it And so you don't want to miss any of those updates. So go to journeytolaunch.com slash membership to sign up. All right, guys, talk to you next week.